But I want to share a little story with you if I can. There was a sweet lady in our, not in our church, there was a sweet lady in the church and um, she came home from an evening uh, service and she entered her home and there was an intruder there. And that's very startling. He was stealing her valuables. And then she yelled out, Acts 2.38, repent. And he just froze. And then she just very calmly went over to the telephone, landline, and then she called the police. And she told the police what had happened. And when the police came to the intruder, he didn't budge at all. And he put in his hands in cuffs. He goes, why did you stop? Because she yelled this scripture, Acts 2.38. He said, what? Acts 2.38? I thought she yelled, I have an axe in 2.38. <laughs> The importance of God's word. It's powerful, isn't it? Let's try that when we get home. No. <laughs> I'd like to speak to you on where God has me in my life right now, and it continues just to, to resonate within my soul because. When the Lord is working on you, he camps out with you in a certain point in your life. And he continues to teach you because I'm very hard-headed. And he continues to teach this lesson within your heart. So I pray that we go this journey together. A Philadelphia pastor, George Boyce, once spoke to a discipleship group on the attributes of God. And he began asking them to list God's quality in the list of importance. And this is what they said. The first one they put was love, which is very understandable. God is love. The next one they, they listed was wisdom, then power, mercy, omniscient, and truth. And at the end of this list of importance, they listed holiness, holiness. Now, Pastor Boyce was, he was confused by this. He was surprised by it because the Bible refers to God's holiness for his attribute more than any other attribute. The Bible doesn't say God is loving, loving, loving. It doesn't say that he's wise, wise, wise. It doesn't say he's omniscient, omniscient, omniscient. But the Bible repeats God is holy, holy, holy. I just want that to, to sink in. We just sang that here today about the holiness of God. Dick Dyke, he wrote an excerpt from his book. He wrote, a, wrote this book called Yawning at Tigers. You can't tame God, so stop, try. And I think that's a very provocative title there. In his book, he's listing a series of statements, and they're very profound. He said, the cruel irony of choosing God's love over his holiness, that you end up losing both. I think that's very interesting. 
He said, only when you rediscover the holiness of God will you be overwhelmed by his love. Only the love of the Lord of heaven and earth who dwells in inapproachable light is truly awe-inspiring. And he goes on to say, God's holiness is beyond our understanding, yet we must not overlook it. One more statement. Jim Killigan, just as all the colors of the spectrum come together to form pure white light that illuminates our world, so the attributes of God come together through his holiness. Do you see that reoccurring theme? Okay. With our time together today, I would like us to rediscover the holiness of God through the eyes of a man named Isaiah. And Isaiah's name means the Lord is salvation. The Lord is salvation. Isaiah is quoted over 65 times in the New Testament, 20 times by the, the, by the Lord God Almighty. In Mark 7, when the Pharisees and the teachers of law gathered around Jesus and, and they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, they came to Jesus. And this is how Jesus responds. He said, Isaiah was right when you prophesied about you hypocrites. For it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Listen to that. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. He said, you worship me in vain. Your teachings are but rules taught by man. He said, you have let go the commands of God, and you follow your own traditions. Hold on to that honor with our lips, but our heart being far from us. Isaiah is a very devout man. And Isaiah is looking at the injustices and the perversions that's going on in the land of Judah. Much like today, we see our spiraling down society. And we recall yourself, it's out of the news cycle right now, but on May 14th, a shooting in upstate New York at Topps Groceries. And not 10 days later, 10 days later, on May 24th, the shooting at Uvalde at Robbs Elementary. And we can turn on any channel in the morning time or in the evening time or at night time, and we see the spiraling down of our city here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And this is where Isaiah was. And he just walked around and he just looked at all of these perversions that were going on in his disciple, and he pronounced judgment on them. And these, these woes that he's talking about are outwardly judgments upon the land of Judah here. So if you turn to your Bible, so Isaiah 5, and we'll just go quickly if you follow me on that sheet of these perversions in the land of Judah. And the first one is in verse 8, and it's to perverters perverters of possessions and see if these really bring up what's actually going on in our society today perverters of possession is the fill in the blank there 
Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field till there's no space left in the land to live. What was going on there is covetedness, greediness, materialism for other people's houses and land. And they were just buying up the land so other people, even in their inheritance, did not have a place to live. And number verse 11, perverters of pleasure. Woe to those who rise up early to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night till they're inflamed with wine. Perverters of pleasure in verse 11. A pleasure seekers when their life revolves around themselves, not concerned about other people, get what they can and forget all the rest. This is exactly what was going on. They were addicted to oneself, which is idolatry. Verse number 18, perverters of reverence. Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness with cart ropes, perverters of reverence. They were doubters. They were mockers regarding God not doing anything in their society. And they were just putting false gods within their cart and just mocking God. When are you going to do something? Verse 20, what are those who call evil good and good evil? And put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put for sweet, bitter, and bitter for sweet. Perverters of value. Now I want you to take a moment and think about our society today. And think about how our, how our values, we call it what? Are turned upside down. The perversions of our values, when we now call abortion, health care, and marriages and genders are now confused. And I would dare say the shrinking man within the home, which is now praised. And we can go on and on and on. Verse 21, perverters of wisdom. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. What was going on there was conceit and pride. And they thought they knew better instead of having their reliance upon God. Proverbs 3, 7 said, do not be wise in your own eyes. But it says, fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. And the last woe is perverters of justice. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks who acquit the guilty for a bribe. There is no justice in the land because evil leaders have turned from the truth of God. All these woes are pointed outwardly in the form of judgments. Our scripture begins with a very popular king at that time. His name was King Uzziah. And he was so very popular 
with the prosperity that was going on the land in King Uzziah that even his enemy praised him. And he served for 52 years. He was 16 when he became a king. And he served beautifully. He said he was a man. Let me see what it says. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And his name means my strength is Jehovah. He started great. But is more powerful that he became than pride seeped into his life. And King Uzziah entered the, entered the temple and he wanted to burn ins, in incense within the temple. He wanted to take the role of a high priest, which is reserved only for the Le Levitical priests of Aaron. He also wanted to take the role, he used his authority as a king and wanted to take the role as a high priest, which is only reserved for one person and one person alone, and that's Jesus Christ. So the Lord struck him with leprosy, and he ran out of that temple. And he lived his last year in seclusion until he died. The people of Judah and Isaiah, they were devastated when King Uzziah died. They had their eyes fixed on an early king, an earthly king, much like what we do. We have our king, we have our eyes fixed a lot of times on a president, on a senator, or a mayor, or someone who could do something for us instead of the overwhelming presence of the Lord. Well, let us witness Isaiah being taken up to the heavenly temple of the Lord. The title of this message is The Overwhelming Holiness of God. Now, this is a supernatural vision that Isaiah experienced here. I don't have a box to put it in, but let's just really just put ourselves back in that time. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, catch that. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying and calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people with unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he had taken with tongues from the altar with it he touched my mouth and said see this has touched your lips 
Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who shall go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the scripture and your word, Father. We thank you that you show, reflect, and magnify your holiness within these scriptures, Lord. Lord, I know I am guilty that I don't look at your holiness in the way that I should. I don't live in a in the holiness in the way that I should. I pray, Lord, that you can just give us a vision today of your holiness within your word. Let us not be not changed as we leave this place today. So, Lord, we thank you and we love you. And we're so grateful that your presence is here. Amen. The big ideal for this message today is through God's holiness, Isaiah experienced worship. Through God's holiness, Isaiah experienced worship, conviction, confession, forgiveness, and purpose. Worship, conviction, confession, forgiveness, and purpose. Which takes us to our first point. Isaiah was overwhelmed by seeing and hearing and encountering the glory of God. Verses 1 through 4. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying and calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Well, what did Isaiah see? Isaiah was overwhelmed by seeing and hearing and encountering God. He saw the Lord Almighty. Let's pause there for a minute. He saw the Lord Almighty. He saw him seated on the throne, which means he was lifted up. He saw he saw him. He saw him high and exalted, and which, which, which means he was ruling. He saw his robe, and the train of his robe filled the temple, which speaks of his priesthood and his kingdom. And he saw the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke, which reminds us of the presence of the God with Israelites. And he saw an altar, and on that altar, it reminds us of an offering and a sacrifice. And he saw angelic creatures called seraphs. Seraphs mean fiery ones, burning ones. Two wings, they covered their faces. Probably because of the brilliance of looking at God or not looking at God. 
or because they were lowly to not look at God. And two wings, they covered their feet. And it wasn't just their feet. It was from the waist down, showing their humility towards God. And the two wings, they were used for service in order to serve the Lord. But what did Isaiah hear? Seraphs were calling to one another, not to the Lord, but to one another, and answering each one continuously, holy, holy, holy. Another one is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. What amazing scene this must have been for Isaiah, hearing the proclamation about the Lord's perfect attribute, holiness. Isaiah is overwhelmed by seeing and hearing pure worship from the seraphs, endlessly worshiping the Lord. They are worshiping him for him. When I was in college, I had a friend. And my, my friend was from New York City, and his parents were divorced. And each month, I believe, his, his dad would send him a check. And I was in his dorm room one day. And he received the check. I saw him getting his mail. And he opened the right side of the envelope. And he blew into it. And then he took the check out. And then he threw the envelope with the letter inside in the trash. Now that image has stuck with me. All of my life, that he didn't read the letter. And I have to ask myself, in looking at the seraphims, how many times do I not read the letter? How many times do I just throw the letter and the envelope in the trash? But one thing I knew that my friend did was he cashed the check. And I'm sure he cashed that check every month. And right back at the self, I'm just, it's just a mirror coming back at me. How many times do I go to the Lord to get the check and I throw away the letter in the trash? See, the seraphims did not do that. They worshiped Jesus for who he is, not for what they could get. And I'm busted. I would dare say that we're all busted there. The seraphist gives us a beautiful portrait of pure worship. The benefit, what we benefit is, is we, the seraphs were just benefiting from worshiping God for who God is. Isaiah hears the word holy repeated three times continuously. And continuously in the Hebrew, this language repeating a word stresses the importance of this word. It would be like me saying to my wife, Katrina, you are so very kind in English. But if I would say it in the Hebrew, I would say you are kind, kind, kind. Which he is, by the way. But nowhere in the Bible is a re the word repeated three times speaking about the attributes of God. The word holy means 
apartness, separate otherness. No word can accurately describe the holiness of God. But in Matthew 6, 9-13, the Lord uses the importance of this scripture in order to show the importance of this word. When the disciples came up to him, there's a mesha between Luke 11 and Matthew 5. The disciples come up to him and ask him, can you teach me how to pray? And the first thing Jesus tells them is, our Father. And that's revolutionary then. No one referred to God as being our Father. But the next thing he says, hallowed it be your name. Jesus was asking his disciples not just what to pray, not just how to pray, but what to pray. Hallowed it be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or how is his name being hallowed in heaven? We see this in the scripture. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And then I have to switch it around. How is God's name being hallowed within this world? The word hallowed means to make your name or to keep your name holy or to revere your name as holy. And I have to ask myself, how am I doing that in my life? How are we doing that in our lives? Hallowed it be his name within our, with our families. Let your name be kept holy. But what did he encounter? He encountered the glory of God. Through the Lord's holiness, Isaiah saw and heard and encountered the Lord's glory. The word glory means weight, heavy. Just visualize God's glory as being a wrecking ball. And then visualize all of creation being a feather. And we, as a comparison of that. This is what Isaiah was beginning to understand the true essence of God. He was seeing him as that wrecking ball. Pastor Tim Kelly would, would state it like this. Before Isaiah had a concept, a belief in God, I'm sure he went to the temple. I'm sure Isaiah prayed. I'm sure Isaiah was very righteous. But he had a concept of who God was. As we see now in the scripture, God is not just a concept to Isaiah. God is now a reality to Isaiah. He is real to him now. And, and, and witnessing his holiness here. When I was 12 years old, I trusted Christ to be my savior. And I can honestly say, I did not live in that. I went up the aisle, a transaction took place, but the Lord was still a concept in my life. I say he was a concept in my life because of the way I was living my life. It was 17 years later until God became a reality in my life. I was driving up to my workplace being so convicted of myself in light of who God is. And I just cried out within my heart to the Lord, Lord, I can't keep doing this. 
I don't know if you've ever been there. And it wasn't until that moment that I felt that true transaction took place. I just felt the overwhelming peace of God's presence in my life. And I didn't hear his words. But the word when I said, I can't keep doing this, I heard gently, you're right, you can't, I can. Because what I was doing is doing everything in my own steam. And I hit a wall. I seriously did. And at that moment, it's a turning point in my life that God became a reality in my life. I love the point that Keller makes, concept, belief, but reality, living in. So let's apply these scriptures personally to ourselves. How about us? How are we witnessing what we're seeing and hearing and encountering with God? What are we really willingly running towards exposing our eyes to men, our ears to instead of the holiness of God. Which brings us to our second point. Isaiah was overwhelmed by his guilt and sin in verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah is witnessing holiness through the pure worship on the throne. And he cries out to me, woe to me, conviction. This woe is completely different than the six woes in Isaiah 5. Those woes were pointed outwardly in judgment to the land of Judah. This woe is, is pointed directly, inwardly to himself. He was looking at his sin in the holiness, in light of the holiness, the apart, apart, being apart from the Lord Almighty. And Isaiah cries out in repentance, a change of mind, and says, I am ruined. That word ruined means no hope, there's despair. He's, in that moment when he said, I am ruined, he is saying, I deserve to die. Because of my sin in light of his glory. No longer is Isaiah. And then he, and then he goes on to say is, my, my, my lips are unclean. And I live among a people with lips are unclean. What did he do there? He put himself in the same boat as everybody else. That once he was, he was pronouncing woes at them. But now he puts himself exactly with them. No longer is he throwing a rock of judgment over to them. What has happened to him that he now sees himself as everybody else? An encounter with the holiness of the Lord, the weight of glory is wrecking Isaiah's life in a supernatural way. You know, I look at the life of Isaiah and I go, wow. I don't see where he did anything wrong. I look at that when I look at Daniel in the Bible as well. There is no nick in their armor that I can see. But a commentary says, as brilliant as Isaiah was as a diamond, when you put a black drop in back of it and you have the light 
shining, the right light shining on, you see all the flaws, all the imperfections of that diamond. And the light which shined on him was the holiness of God. Church family, do we have such grief over our sin in light of the overwhelming holiness of God? Sometimes we fall into the trap of righteousness. I know I have. That the longer that we have been saved, we kind of forget our beginnings before we were saved. And then we start looking at people in a self-righteous way, judging them like Isaiah was and pronouncing woes on them. That we're all just sinners saved by God's glorious grace. And the light, God's holiness, light was shined upon Isaiah. Which is just the point number three. Isaiah was overwhelmed by the forgiveness of his guilt and his sin. Verse six and seven. Then one of the seraphs flew to him with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched his mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. What an overwhelming encounter this must have been. The Lord had one of his sirs who was ministering to him and redirected him to Isaiah to minister to him. Now Isaiah already felt within his heart when he said, woe to me, I am ruined, that he deserved to die. And then you see this fiery seraph coming to you with a burning coal in his hands. What is the first thing you would think about? I'm toast. <laughs> I am undone. I'm sure Isaiah would think exactly what I'm thinking. I'm going to be taken out at this moment. But no, that is not what happened to Isaiah. He was not destroyed, but he was transformed. And that's what God does to us. And then Sarah speaks to him, no longer worshiping God in that way, but he's serving God. He said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Now, don't miss the transaction that just happened here. Isaiah is not destroyed. He is transformed. And then the angel, the seraphim, is ministering to him on the direction of the Lord. But I love what he says here. Your guilt is taken away. That's the first thing that the seraph says. Some of your translations may say iniquity. Your sin atoned for, which means it was cleansed. The Lord underwrote, funded this guilt and this sin that from 700 years in the future that he would pay for on the cross. And the currency he used to do that was the shedding of his blood on the cross. But he said, your guilt is taken away. And I ask us, church family, how many times have we lived with that guilt 
from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And still, we know that we have been forgiven from that sin because God fully forgives our sins when we come to him, but we're still hanging on to the guilt here today. We hear it gives us a beautiful principle that it said your guilt is taken away. Bow! It is gone. Your sin atoned for. It is cleansed. It's a beautiful principle that I hope we, that we just hang on to that. Jesus bore our shame, parenthesis, guilt, and sin on the cross. We can now live in the victory of the Savior's sacrifice for us. That's a good amen. No longer guilt, which takes us to our fourth point. Isaiah was overwhelmed by the voice and the request of the Lord. That's verse 8a. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? And let us observe in the scriptures prior to this what has not occurred, and that is hearing the voice of the Lord Almighty. Isaiah, up to this point, was overwhelmed by seeing, hearing, encountering the glory of the Lord. Pure worship, conviction, confession, and forgiveness from the Lord. But now the Almighty speaks, and I wonder if the Lord has spoken prior if Isaiah would have been able to hear him. I wonder sometimes, are we able to hear him because of the deafening of our, our sin, our unconfessed, unconfessed, unresolved sin in our lives? Are we able to hear from the Lord? The Lord said, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? The scriptures use the singular and a plural pronoun. Who shall I send? Who shall go for us? This speaks of the triune nature of God and his holiness three in one. Which takes us to our fifth and final point. Isaiah asks the Lord to be sent. And I said, here am I, send me. After Isaiah cried out desperately, woe to me, I am ruined. With no hope over sin, the Lord took away his guilt and he cleansed his sin. Then the Lord made a request of I, and, and a request, and Isaiah responded, which is worship. And David, Pastor David said this, God revealed himself to Isaiah and Isaiah responded, which is worship. God revealing himself through a worship song, through prayer, through his word, through tribulation. And when we respond, how God is revealing himself to him, that's worship. Revelation, response. Isaiah asked to be sent. Now comes the purpose. And not just to go. But by asking to be sent, he was asking to be sent with God to go with him. Sometimes we're so willing to go on our own, which is admirable. But are we willing to be, be sent in God's strength and in God's way? That's a very important thing I'm saying. 
Are we able or willing to be able to send, be sent in God's way and in God's strength? When we look through the eyes of Isaiah, how set apart the Holy Lord is. He's so set apart from his creation. Then let's look in the middle of his holiness. It's his love for us. In John 12, 41, the scriptures gives us a great hint of who Isaiah saw on the throne. It was the pre-incarnate Christ, the Son of God, who was high and lifted up and who was ruling. The same Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, who penetrated our time and space by being born of a virgin and lived a sinless life, being tempted in every way we are. Jesus displayed his glory, his holiness in such a profound way by being beaten beyond recognition, taking our sin upon himself and dying on the cross. And in three days he was resurrected, showing that he is God. That is God's holiness. So let us talk about the now what. When we look at the cross, church family, let us be overwhelmed by the sight and the sound and the glory of his sacrifice for us. Let us be overwhelmed by our guilt and sin. Let us be overwhelmed by the forgiveness of our guilt and sin. And let us be overwhelmed by the voices and the request of God and his living word. Let us be overwhelmed to ask the Lord to send you. You know, Jesus was overwhelmed. There was a point in time that he was overwhelmed. And that overwhelm was when he had been betrayed, was going to be betrayed, and then he was going to be denied. And he went into the garden to pray. And he told his disciples to sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he said, stay here and keep watch. That's Jesus. But Jesus willingly went to that cross for my life and for your life. So the scriptures gives us a command to be holy because he is holy. Dandy Hahn says, lower our sense of holiness and we lower our sense of sin. So we lower the bar in looking at God being holy, then we lower the bar at our own sin. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, it said, be holy. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when, when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. That's before Christ. But just as you call, but just that he who called you holy is holy, so be holy in all that you do. That's a command from God. Be holy because I am holy. I mean, I look at the scripture and the tendency for me to do is to put the emphasis on be holy instead of putting the emphasis on 
be holy because I am holy. The great redemptive news is that is because those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the holiness, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, empowering us to be what the Lord is calling us to be. The word holiness from our perspective is to be devoted or to dedicate it and also to be set apart. That's what we're called to do. Do you know within our Bible, we were called Christians in Antioch, but nowhere in the Bible does it tell you to be Christian. It tells us to be holy, which means it tells us to be set apart. It tells us to be dedicated to the Holy One. And even gets better, the Holy One lives in us to enable us what we're not capable to do. That's the good and great news. I'm going to give an invitation here in a moment, but I want to talk to the, to the non-believer, any unbelievers in the room. And just as Isaiah, we are sinners in, in need of a Savior. Romans 3.23 exposes our, exposes our sin, saying we have all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ his Son. And Romans 5.8 says that he demonstrated his own love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. I ask you, are you willing to receive Jesus' full forgiveness for your sin? Do you want your guilt taken away, your sin atoned for? I'm going to ask a couple of people to come up, and I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to pray. I said, woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. You see, you can be saved today through God's grace, his unmerited favor towards you. And you may not understand everything that's what we said here before, but the main thing to understand is one thing. God loves you. He died for you. And he wants to live with you. So I would ask you to pray. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I pray that you pray this simple prayer. i like everyone to bow their heads. Father, I'm a sinner, and I trust you to forgive me of all of my sins, and I trust you to be the Lord of my life. Very simple prayer. If you prayed this prayer in the sincerity of your heart, you are now a child of God. I would ask you to come up. And I would ask you to share that news with the people up front. And church family, I have a charge for you. In lieu of God's holiness, have you looked at yourself? And if you have minimized God's holiness in light of our sins, I would pray that today may be a turning point in your life, just like a day was a turning point in my life 
when I was in my car and I cried out to the Lord, I can't keep doing this. Church family, I pray that the day is that day to have that turning point in your life. And I would ask you to come and talk with someone, pray with someone. Don't go out of this place unchanged. The holiness of God. We see it witness in the eyes of Isaiah. And he said, here am I, send me. You know, we have that same charge. We're not here to sit on the bench. We're here to be put into action in whatever way the Lord calls you. Father God, I, we thank you for your time and your word. Lord, we thank you for your holiness, Father God. And Lord, I pray that there was a decision to turn their hearts to you, to trust you as their Lord and Savior here today or online. And I pray as a church family, there's a turning point as it was with me. And it continues to be, Lord, change my heart. Make me holy, Father God. Thank you that it's a continuous action. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.